welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, Keith, I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Um, you're, you're a very interesting person to me, just the journey you've had from being an evangelical to converting over to being a Roman Catholic. So just to let people know a little bit about you, um, you're the cordial Catholic. You have a podcast of your own and, um, your name is Keith Little and you do a really good job. I think your podcast is very, it's a very nice, enjoyable podcast to listen to really well put together. And you have some guests that are pretty well known, like, I listened to Jimmy Aiken not long ago, and I'm familiar with him, and I'm not even a Roman Catholic, but you know I've heard him before somewhere along the line. <laughs> I think you know he's a Catholic apologist. But anyway, it, I've really been enjoying it, so I'm looking forward to getting to talk with you and interact a little bit. So, yeah. um, well, thank you very much. I'm happy to happy to have you be here. <laughs> yeah. So. Before you converted over to um, Roman Catholicism, you were an evangelical. And for how many years? Was that something you grew up with? Yeah. So I I had uh, what I call a radical conversion to Christ at about the age of 15. Uh, I grew up kind of nominally Christian, right? Uh, I would describe it often as as Christian without Christ, which is, of course, an oxymoron. But we grew up with really good morals. You know, we believed in telling the truth and uh, helping those less fortunate. And recycling, for us, was a big deal. <laughs> and at about the age of 15, I kind of began thinking these questions about what, you know, what else is out there. And actually, it was a, a friend of a friend who was a Wiccan, actually, who one day at we, – we, we were an instrumental band together in high school, which is kind of nerdy. And uh, – and we were at this campfire after the, at the end of the school year to celebrate band being done. A bunch of really nerdy band kids. Yeah. And this friend of a friend was, was Wiccan. And he was there with long hair, leather jacket on, looked very cool and, and mysterious and, and espousing about how the world is much bigger than we, can, we know and it's all connected and we're just small cogs in this big machine. And, and this was the first time, uh, Will, that I had thought of these things because I wasn't raised in, you know, I wasn't raised to think of these bigger questions. And so for me, it was this revelation. And I went home, and this is this is pre-Google, and tried to search up what it means to be a Wiccan because I wanted to be more like this guy. And of course, nothing, I couldn't find anything. I, I was, you know, I wonder if, I, if I'd be a Wiccan now if Google was invented because I could find that information <laughs> way more easily. But mm-hmm. I couldn't at the time. But but I began thinking those questions, right, about what's what else is out there. And am I part of this bigger universe? And is there a creator? And these big questions I didn't, I didn't ever ask before that. So... Uh, to make a, a very long story short, I ended up having uh, uh, my, my best friend, and this is really formational for me, thinking of my own evangelization. My best friend growing up was Christian, and I knew that. We never talked about Jesus or church or anything because we, we just didn't. We talked about video games and Star Trek and Star Wars and those kinds of dirty things. But yeah. I knew he was a Christian because he was busy on Sunday mornings when we, as a kid. He couldn't play on Sunday morning, couldn't go for bike rides, couldn't ride the trails with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was the guy in high school that we were still very close friends that I went to with my questions. I said, look, look, I know you're a Christian. Like, what does it mean? Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Like, so I'm, I'm asking these questions now. And of course he gave me a little bit of information and said what I should do. And I, I had this weird instinct, uh, Will, that I was a, I was a sinner. 
which was really strange because I had it wasn't in my vocabulary to even think of these things, right? But for whatever reason, the the prayer that I prayed, that you know that, that prayer that people pray that say, you know, God, are you out there? Are you there? If you're there, give me a sign. I prayed that classic prayer that so many non-believers pray when they're approaching God. But mine also was, I don't think I'm worthy to know you or be known by you. And if I am, please let me know. Which was really weird that I, I don't even know where that instinct came from, that that I wasn't worthy of, of knowing God. I, I, I had nothing in my background that ever would have, would have told me that, but I, I don't know. So I approached it very kind of strangely. And of course, I got this sign. I was saved from a, a fist fight with a, with a neighborhood kid that I had bullied actually growing up. And so the irony of my conversion story to Christ in the first place is this, the fact that the, the miracle that I prayed for to know that God would would loves me and accepts me was actually fulfilled kind of by this guy that I had spent my earlier years bullying and, and not loving and being unkind to, right? I was spared from that guy cleaning my clock by this miracle. So I've always thought of my, my conversion to Christ as, as radical in the sense that God used even my sin and my disappointments and my things I'd done wrong to still, in spite of that, still save me and show me that he loves me mm-hmm. out of all that. And so, of course, I went and I bought a Bible. I began to read it voraciously. I began in Genesis. By numbers, I was just bogged down and I thought I was ready to quit. But a friend said, hey, start in the gospel. I said, what are the gospels? And so I was very much a, a brand new Christian. I had no idea what I was doing. But God plugged into good, to a good youth group um, that my friend went to that was really, really cool and hip and did great discipleship work. Uh, my friend is now a youth pastor out in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, really, I, I think the, the pastor of that youth group really mentored him and so many of us it, beginning of our faith. It was amazing. And uh, yeah, from there, I spent about 15 years in, uh, in evangelical Christianity. Uh, I found my own church eventually, got involved in Bible studies, eventually in leading Bible studies and young adult ministries. I, uh, I got plugged into a university church when I be- went away to school. You know, a lot of people lose their faith in university. Mine was doubled down and strengthened through the student church that I got involved with. Eventually got on leadership at that church, leading Bible studies, uh, helping with worship and sound and, and, and these sorts of different activities, leading small groups. Met my wife there, you know, eventually my wife uh, there. We began attending the, the, the student church that w- was this one church. And then as everyone kind of grew up and aged out, this, this family church began to emerge. And so we moved to that family church as our main church. It was non-denominational roots in Pentecostalism, but non-denominational um, really on the face of things and uh, got involved in, got married in that church to my wife, got involved in all kinds of ministries. We did mission work for a bit on the missions team, uh, went on some missions. Uh, we, we ran a married couple's, kind of monthly meeting. We helped with with um, small groups again. We helped with kind of um, production of different things behind the scenes. We're involved in leadership there. And uh, it, it was there at this church, I actually ended up, well, the student church, I actually ended up interning for a bit. And it was there that my journey uh, into Catholicism kind of began um, through a question that the, the pastor at that church asked me at the time. Yeah. Right. I've heard you mention that. He asked you um, what's more important the, or what's uh, more of an authority or more important, the Bible or tradition. Is that something like what he asked? Yeah. Yeah. That was exactly the question I do. I mentioned it on the podcast uh, every week because that's kind of the foundation of what I try and do in my podcast is answer those kinds of questions. But yeah, he, 
so this guy this guy was the was the pastor of the student church and I was interning there and uh he called me into his office one day, and I remember the scene very cl- clearly. It was a very hip office, very hip guy. He was a French-Canadian guy, uh, Italian, Italian-French-Canadian. So hmm. great accent, great laid-back guy, yeah. drove like a maniac. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these things are so typical about French people and Italians up here in Canada. Uh, he was that guy. But he called me into his office, and he said, and he said, you know what? I have a question for you. Like, okay, this would be good, because we like to, to really chew on the meat of theology and stuff in these little meetings. He said what do you think is more important, the Bible or tradition? And I go, oh, come on, Dom. His name was Dom, Dominic. I said, of course it's the Bible. Every Sunday school answer is the Bible or Jesus. Like, we know this. Of course it's the Bible. What is what is this tradition thing? You're like, you're, you're joking, right? And then he kind of stopped and looked really, looked really sly, got this expression on his face. And he said, yeah, but who put the Bible together? Like, where did the Bible come from? He said, isn't that, isn't there a tradition that put the Bible together? And I, and I kind of went like, well, I don't know, because I hadn't really thought of it, right? I mean, I'd spent 15 years or so, at that time, probably about 12 years or so, as, a, as an evangelical. I knew my Bible. I read my Bible every day. I read it back to cover. I read about my Bible. I read theologians and different authors and Bible studies. And, you know, and it, but it hadn't occurred to me where the Bible exactly came from, in quotes. So answering that question began to force me to ask kind of other questions. Right. And and that kind of began my, well, yeah, I don't really know. So I want to find out. Mm -hmm. Right. That that kind of began a bit of a journey (laughs) for me. Right. You could say. Yeah. Well, you know, so you had the spiritual life as an evangelical. How did that change as a Roman Catholic, I know that when some, with a change, things can get pretty exciting. Like when I came to the church where I am now, <clears throat> I came from a Protestant church to another Protestant church. And this was back around 18 years ago, I guess, or longer. Um, but it was like just excitement, like a light came on because I was really unsatisfied and I was looking for something um, different, and I found it. So it seemed like a big surge spiritually, you know, for me. So I imagine any kind of, like, significant change like that that you want is going to probably produce that. But maybe there's things that are particular um, because of the difference from Protestantism to um, Roman Catholicism that has made on your spiritual life, you know, so anything come to mind as far as what changed as you converted over? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, I love that question. Um, yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to put into words actually, because I remember when I was looking into the Catholic faith, I had a really good friend. Uh, we were very much on the same kind of trajectory for a while looking into, we were dissatisfied with, with the, the answers to questions that we were asking, right? Our, our church, this church that my wife and I were a part of eventually near the tail end of our, our involvement there was wrestling with, with issues around what to do about same sex marriage and gender issues and these very emergent topics. And mm-hmm. 
we were dissatisfied with with the answers we were getting because a lot of the answers were, well, we'll read this different different authors and theologians and their perspectives, and we'll figure out what we think is the most biblical approach. But of course, you came to all kinds of different biblical approaches, and we we were confused. There wasn't a better way of doing that. So this friend and I were talking about this, and. And I mentioned that I'm looking at the Catholic faith as, a, as an answer to these kinds of questions, perhaps, and, and, and other things. And he said, you know what, I, it's interesting, but I couldn't live the sacramental life, I don't think. And I went, well, what's a sacrament? Because I had no idea what a sacrament was at the, t- mm-hmm. at the time, looking into the Catholic faith. But now that I am a Catholic, and now that I live this faith on a daily basis, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to articulate how I the difference because it's just so it's so functionally and foundationally different to me, mm-hmm. and I I I get the no, the notion. It's, it's an interesting question because there is that notion, and then this is what happens to to new converts to Christianity, right? You have this this zealousness to go out and tell everyone about your your faith and how amazing it is, and you found the answer to everything. And I can in high school, I was the most annoying kid in in the building because I was just going around. I used to have a shirt that says something about asking about Jesus. I'd wear it around the school, just waiting for atheists to get into a to a fight with me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, of course, that 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 wears off those kind of first things wear off. But in most cases, um, just, I mean, from a matter of, of psychology, I think you can't sustain so that, that fervor in, in certain places forever. But there's something functionally different for me about the Catholic faith in that it is sacramental. Mm-hmm. So so what we believe is that the, the if we're the body of Christ, the, the way that Christ delivers grace to us in the most ordinary way is through the sacraments. So Jesus comes to me in the Eucharist, or comes to me in confession, or comes to me in baptism when I'm first baptized, or comes to me in the, sac- in, in the, in the order of, of matrimony in my marriage, right? And, and then I'm, I, I tap into those to, to, be, to be filled. And, and we as, as Catholics believe to become more like Christ, like, we, like Christ has given us these things to make us more like him. To make us more more suited to, to see him face to face in heaven, at the, at the at, you know when we when we die, and can see him face to face. So there's something different about the rhythm of the Catholic life that that I think, and of course, you look at some of the studies, some of the the polls that are done of Catholics and their understanding of the sacraments and the Eucharist, and it's not very good sometimes. Not all Catholics understand this, but I think for me and my family and 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 my friends and people that I hope would listen to my podcast and 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 understand what we believe as Catholics, it's a sustaining thing that you you go, you can go to daily mass and receive Jesus in the Eucharist every single day. And and that sustains you and sustains that fervor in a way that I didn't expect when I became Catholic. I mean, I can remember I can remember our our, our pastor, the non denominational church, my wife and I were getting married. He asked us, Do you expect in like, you know, twenty years of marriage to still feel the same way you feel for your spouse now, like in this, you know, as you're engaged, getting married. And I said, well, surely like this, this fervor I feel for my wife now will wear off after 20 years of marriage, right? The daily kind of grind. And he said, actually, no, you, you should feel more in love with her as you get to know her more and you know how she likes things and how, how she's best expresses herself and how you can love her the best. You should fall more deeply, deeply in love, right? And it's that love that lasts beyond that romantic kind of first encounter, right? So that that's kind of the way that I I, I view and I see the Catholic life and the sacraments, right? There's 
there, there, there wasn't, there hasn't been for me in the seven, eight years I've been a Catholic, uh, a reduction in my kind of fervor for how I do the faith. I'm more excited than ever to get to Mass as often as I can, to receive confession as often as I can, uh, because those things are sustaining in a way that I didn't expect as a Catholic. Uh, there, there's such a tangible uh, thing happening there when I go and receive Christ in the Eucharist or hear the priest in, in confession speak the words uh, that, that Christ you know puts on his lips. It's a, it, I hope that's making sense. It's it's a strange encounter, and it's not what I expected at all. But it's there, there's such a sustaining power in there. And I and I talked to I mean you know, on my show all kinds of converts, and one of my favorites was, is, is Scott Hahn, who of course is a pretty big deal in the convert community. He's this this Presbyterian minister from way back when in the '80s who had this radical conversion. He was the most Calvinist person in the world, had this radical conversion, and has since written books and inspired thousands of conversions in, in his wake. He said to me on the show, and I asked him that question, similar question. He said, yeah, actually, you know what? You know, 25 years as a Catholic, like all these different children, all these grandchildren. He has two sons now. One, one's now a priest and one's being ordained a priest shortly. He said, I'm actually more in love with the faith than I ever have been in my life. And it's deepened year over year. And he, he credits the sacraments for doing that, right? This, this tangible expression of God's love for us that we can keep coming back to. And deepening and discovering more and more. Uh, so I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. It was a great question. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I did it did it some justice. Yeah, that answers my question. Um, gives me an idea of you know what's important to you and so forth. When I think of the sacraments and the, the Roman Catholic viewpoint of them, to me as a Protestant, it's almost like they're coming across as a magic in a way because I. I think of it as, um, well, this is happening, whether you know it or not, like a, a baby being baptized, you know, not cognizant of what's going on right then. And that would be versus like an intellectual and a, an emotional engagement, which would be more of the Protestant viewpoints of these things, like the Lord's Supper and um, and baptism and, and that. And I... As I was here thinking, you know, one verse, and I, it was from Paul, and it's just a phrase from a verse, but he speaks of joy in believing. It's in the middle of like a little prayer that he's praying for um, the church. Maybe it's in First Corinthians, but he he wishes them to have joy in believing. So, but of course, you're not seeing there's not that um, intellectual and emotional part. It's not a part of your faith, but you're just seeing that there's more to the sacraments than, um, than what Protestants see. So it's not so much like, well, either God's working through this and apart from us in, in some way, or it's not like you're saying either that, or we're intellectually and emotionally involved. You're, you're saying it's, it's both, I guess. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I guess, and, and absolutely. I mean, what, what I see. So I think, I think um, the sacrament of penance is probably the best example I can think of, in terms of look. As an evangelical, I used to, I used to pray every night for God's forgiveness. I do, I do dumb things, and I do lots of kinds of dumb things. And right, you, you pray for for forgiveness, and you are for, you are forgiven. I, I was forgiven, and but I wouldn't necessarily had the emotional feeling of forgiveness, right? And I was, I was 
uh, I was charismatic for a while in my in my church careers. So not having that feeling, not having the feeling was a was a problem sometimes for me. I was like, I should feel forgiven because I'm, I, you know, I should feel this emotional high. But the difference from from that and then receiving the the um, the sacrament of reconciliation or penance, and and hearing now, of course, comes with believing, but believing that that Christ given the power uh, to bind and loose to forgive sins to this priest, as we as we see Christ saying to the apostles in the Gospels, if you believe that and then hear this priest saying, you know, in the name of Christ, through the power given to me, through him, through his words, and through the succession in the church, you know, you're forgiven, go and sin no more. Hearing that, I mean, I can, I can pray to my, in my own room for forgiveness and, and be forgiven, but to hear somebody say that when I became Catholic and I heard somebody say that it was it was night and day. So there are there are you know there there's there's joy in non sacramental things, right? There's there's joy in in reading my Bible and there's joy in in a worship service and there's joy in 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 praying, of course, and living out the Christian life. But what the Catholic Church would say is there is the the there's grace in all kinds of ways, but the ordinary ways that God has established to to as as the veins to to give us that grace is through Him coming to us in these these different sacraments. Um, I had a great guest, Lawrence Feingold, on the show. I recorded with him last night. It comes out in a little bit, and he's the whole topic was the sacraments. He has this great big eight hundred page book on the sacraments. All right, and 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 he would say there is there's there's grace in all kinds of places, and there's that joy in all kinds of places. But the way that God has worked throughout all of history is through entering into our story through through men and women to to do things, to do tangible things with us, because He knows that we're tangible beings. Um, I mean, and I affirm that as a Catholic. I mean, I I just just through my own experience. Mm-hmm. I've experienced that that kind of a uh, a difference in how how God works and the difference between those non tangible and tangible things. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah. But <laughs> well, you you mentioned something in passing that I'll bring up because it's kind of like a stereotype of Catholics that, or maybe it's just my own stereotype I have. But you mentioned confession, so I hear stories. I just heard it just a. Uh, a few days ago, someone was just recounting jail. I mean, uh, recounting um, childhood, <laughs> and <laughs> he he mentioned um, going to confession, and then the priest would hear, and um, and then he would say, um, "Okay, now go do this many Hail Marys or this many Our Fathers." And uh, from a Protestant viewpoint, or from my viewpoint, that seems so um, like. Uh, unmeaningful like okay you, you confess and then okay just repeat these words over and over again for a few you know uh, this many times and then everything's okay like i don't know it just seems almost like um i don't know if it makes uh, making little of sin or just i don't know it just seems odd i guess and like um uh, perhaps a little bit like well you're kind of um that's your punishment for your sin or something along those lines. Is that a, is that a true stereotype that, you know, a priest would tell a person to do that after they confess? Um, and if so, um, how do you understand that? 
Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> Funny example, and, and no, I mean, that's the interesting thing about uh, about the, the the Catholic faith in general is that a lot of people. And this is I don't know where the story came from, of course, but a lot of people leave the Catholic faith, and what they have is stories from childhood. So you hear kind of <laughs> interesting perspectives sometimes on on what the faith is versus their experience. And I can't speak to that, so I don't know the case, yeah. but. Yeah, I think the difference, the, the huge difference for me encountering the Catholic faith and, and the difference between Protestantism and, and Catholicism in, in that respect for me was it's it, it, it takes seriously the notion of the church as the body of Christ, right? So we do every single mass that's celebrated, whether it's daily or whether it's on a Sunday or a Saturday evening. We as a church come together and part of the actual mass is asking for forgiveness, is saying, you know, I'm coming here. One of the very first things that happens in mass is we we come together and say, look, I have I've sinned. We, you know, as a group, I want you guys, everyone in this in this church, please pray for me to ask, you know, to to that I'd be forgiven, that I'd get back in in right. And then we say, Jesus, please forgive us, kind of thing. So it's very much a a, a a body of Christ mentality that the church, and this takes, in my opinion, takes very seriously you know, words, things that Paul writes to the churches in, in, in his epistles, that we have to be of one accord and we have to be working together. And if there's sin, we have to figure that out and together move forward. And in, in repentance, the actual, the, you know, the formal, um, the formal confession where I'm with a priest, you know, telling him these things and he is acting as, as, the Catholic Church says, as as Christ in that instant, right? The words that he speaks are words that he that the church believes that that Christ gave him the power to speak to forgive those sins to bind and loose. What what he's doing then? So so I would tell him my sins. He would use that power to forgive me, speak the words of Christ over me, and then what happens at the end there is is a form of penance. And what that is, and that that can be trite of in situation you've described, it sounds pretty kind of lame, right? Say 10 whatever Hail Marys or something. What its intention is, and it's not always, of course, I don't think used very appropriately or, or used how it should be, is to bring you back in right relationship with, with the church community, right? So you've sinned, your sins are forgiven, right? Whether or not you do this next thing that you have to do, your sins are forgiven, they're gone. Like you, like Christ has, has forgiven those sins they're gone through no act of your own. He is entirely forgiving you of your sins. But if you want to get back in right relationship with the community, which you need to do as to be a functional body of Christ, like you're still you're still broken by that sin, right? It's it's been forgiven. It's it's gone. But you aren't magically, you know, you mentioned magic before. You aren't magically waved of a wand over and right you. You know, if you're if you're confessing a sin where you are committing adultery for twenty years, you don't leave that confessional suddenly not an adulterer, right? Just free of all those those addictions or free of all those that you know the 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 baggage of that sin, right? So the the intention of the of the penance at the end of the confession is to get you back in right relationship, right? And and you know, saying ten Hail Marys isn't going to do that, <laughs> so that's not very meaningful in that sense. But its intention is to be meaningful. Uh, and to and to fix that relationship, right? Not not that that forgives you of your sin. That's a, uh, that's a definitely a, a stereotype, right? And that's a misunderstanding of a lot of Catholics that you're you're doing that thing after you confess to to earn your forgiveness, which is totally not what the Church would teach, okay. right? That's it's it's 
it's Christ doing that business. It's not. You, you know. Well, you suggested that I take a look at the Catholic catechism, which I did. And I enjoyed looking at it and the, the way it's structured is really nice in taking the creeds that we all Christians would um, share and just breaking them down and just saying, well, this line means this, this line means that and so forth. So that was pretty neat. Now, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on Mary, but I do want to kind of touch on that because that's something that um, doesn't make much sense to me. So the catechism, it explained um, what Catholics believe about Mary, but it didn't give a whole lot of uh, explanation why. It did briefly on a little bit on a couple of the things, but from what I understand, um, Mary is um, seen as a perpetual virgin and um, that she was immaculately uh, conceived without original sin. So, and I think um, the explanation was, you know, when she's referred to as full of grace. And then um, she, uh, she was sinless throughout her own life. And then I didn't see this in the catechism, but I, I think Catholics believe that she was um, bodily taken up to heaven. Is that right? That she didn't die, but was taken up. Okay. So, um, like, where does that come from? Um, yeah. So anyway, not to spend a lot of time on it, but just, can you help as far as, um, that goes, like, is there biblical basis for that or, um, or what do you think? We made all of it up just out of nowhere. All of it. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great question, and I, I'm I'm constantly surprised by the amazing scholarship that's happening in, in this area. I would have, I would have said in some of those those questions, you know, I didn't. There's not a lot of biblical basis, and I'm constantly proven wrong by scholars I've had on my program. Okay. So, it's really interesting, and I think it it, it all comes back to, uh, gosh, I. These verses for me, uh, as an evangelical, that I never really understood or paid attention to in the in the Bible, that began to come alive when you kind of put on different glasses to, to look at them. Right. So, a lot of a lot of what the Catholic Church. I mean, I should say first of all that there's this instinct that exists in in evangelicalism and in Protestantism that definitely is a good instinct. Right. And it's the instinct not to make anything into an idol. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is a very very good instinct, and it's. It, for me, in my upbringing, it was it was so powerful um, in my church that we didn't even really have a cross in the church. There, there was a cross off to the kind of the side of the auditorium, yeah. and no pictures anywhere or anything. Right, so we were very hyper aware of, and we didn't say. Um, it's fine to me as a as a Catholic because the Lord's prayer is 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 the prayer to end all prayer because it's what Christ taught us. But we didn't say the Lord's prayer in our church because we saw that as being a petition. We couldn't we couldn't repeat a prayer lest we just fall into into boredom with that prayer. So I've changed my mind on that a little bit because it's such an important prayer. So I, I get the instinct that we shouldn't make things into idols. We have to be very, very careful to avoid idolatry, right? It's a, it's a good instinct, but I think that instinct for me and so many converts then makes Mary this ultimate stumbling block, right? And it is for every single, every single last person, I think, who becomes Catholic, it's one of those things that 
that is there in the way. Like, well, what about Mary? Because she's so prevalent in the Catholic faith. And I think, I mean, so a good way for me of seeing this, and this maybe help might help explain the the, the sometimes overemphasis on Mary that some people see from the outside is. I had I had Marcus Grodi on my show, and he's the host of the Journey Home. He's also him and Scott Hahn are a couple of famous converts from the '80s, and he's hosted this show for I think 25 plus years now, where he speaks every week to a different Catholic convert. And I had him on my show, kind of talking about what he's seen in commonalities and common threads in his in his years of doing his show. And he said to me that that one of the things that he's noticed that that is a stumbling block for so many. Protestants who who see Catholics and trying to understand the Catholic faith is that to to the Protestant the the Catholic the very very devout Catholic looks like the worst kind of Christian possible and what he meant was so I'm a Protestant looking at a Catholic and maybe you see me one day at, at Mass and I'm kneeling I'm kneeling in front of a statue praying my Rosary wearing a scapular right. I I lo- I look like the worst Christian possible because I'm like I'm I'm bowing in front of a statue of not of Jesus right and I'm praying these vain petitions these, these prayers I look like a terrible Christian but what he said is you have to you have to you have to help the Protestant get inside the mind of the Catholic because what the Catholic is doing is is very is very devout deep Catholic devotions right I, I'm praying the Rosary which I believe is is prayers that come from the Bible, fulfilling things that were said in the Bible that we should be doing, which is calling Mary, you know, full of grace and these kinds of things. I'm, re- I'm reflecting on the life of Christ through the different mysteries of the rosary, right? And I'm kneeling in front of the statue, which kneeling looks to the Protestant as some as some kind of worshipable stance. But for, for the Catholic, it's it's a veneration knowing that that saint who I'm, who I'm in front of is in heaven by the authority that the church has to bind and loose to say, yes, we believe this person is in heaven and Christ gives us the power to know, to, to know that in a sense. And what I'm doing is that person is part of the body of Christ. And because the body of Christ is, is this thing infused with divinity because Christ is the head. This is a piece of, of Christ here in this saint. This saint's reflecting a piece of Christ to us. So it's okay to kneel, not to worship, but to appreciate and say thank you for for what you've done. Please pray for me, because of course we believe that saints are in heaven and can, by a miracle, hear our prayers and bring those prayers to Christ, like me and you can pray for each other. So I, I all of that to say that some of the 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 allergy that we have, as I had as an evangelical and, and sometimes Protestants bring to the Catholic faith, that allergy sometimes is a bit explained by understanding the, the Catholic viewpoint of things, right? That it might look like it's all kinds of horrible things, but what that Catholic is doing, according to their theology, is really practicing the faith in, in, in deep and moving ways. So all that to say, yeah, the, the Marian stuff is very, very interesting. And I'll tell you, it's it's it is all rooted in the Bible. Like nothing that the Catholic Church teaches, we would say, can contradict the Bible. Uh, sometimes it's in seed form there, and sometimes it's in seed form that might be hard to find through Protestant lenses. But it, it it's there. I mean, there's really interesting things. A lot of the and for me, this was a stumbling block, of course, right? But. What I did is I read a, a couple of fantastic books on Mary that trace out the, the Jewish understanding of 
who Mary was expected to be and the Old Testament roots of who Mary was. And as you begin to, to see Mary in light of the whole context of Scripture, it, it, it gets kind of crazy. There, there's these connections that are kind of wild. I mean, we read, we, we read, and the historic church has read Revelation as a picture of Mary in, in heaven, you know, with her foot on the serpent, kind of crushing, crushing the serpent, right? Um, that, that reflects back to how, how Elizabeth first greets Mary when, at the visitation, when Mary comes with, with Christ, pregnant to see her cousin. And Mary, Mary echoes the words of, of King David when the Ark of the Covenant came to David, right? Which, which again reflects this, this, this idea of Mary being the Ark that carried Jesus, like the Ark in the Old Testament carried the manna and the staff and carried the, the presence of God, right? And once you begin to kind of unwind this, this typology, these different connections that, that Mary has throughout the Bible, um, it, it doesn't become very difficult to see where the Catholic Church is getting these things from. Um, you know, there's, there's, and this is where I came from as an evangelical. There's all kinds of prophecies about Christ and all, all kinds of prophecies that we see in the Old Testament talking about who Jesus would be and who he was and he fulfills all these things. But there are prophecies about everything in the Old Testament, right? There's, there, there's prophecies of how, how the Eucharist, how communion would look in the Old Testament with, with the manna and the, the, the bread from heaven and these kinds of things. And there's prophecies about all kinds of stuff. And Mary is in there as well, right? There's, there's all kinds of, but we don't see these. I didn't see these things as an evangelical, right? I just, I, Jesus, he's prophesying the Old Testament. He's the guy got to focus on. And of course he is, right? And Mary and the Eucharist, these things all point back to Christ. But they're in there too, and you begin to unlock those things, right? You begin to you begin to. What I did was was read the, the Catholic point of view from actual Catholic sources, and I go, yeah, I can see where this comes from. I can see where they get this from. I can see the basis of this uh, in Scripture. I couldn't before, but I, I can see it now. And then you, of course, move to to how the Church has historically seen these things, and it, it, you see that it wasn't kind of just made up, kind of out of whole cloth. You see a kind of historical lineage of these different things as you progress through history. Even in the very, very early church, they had these really important notions of who Mary was, right, in in the liturgy and in, in feast days and kinds of things. So it's interesting, but for me, it all hinges on on if you believe the Catholic Church is what it says it is, right? And that is that they say they have, you know, in, in the papacy, in the bishops, they, they trace that lineage back to the apostles, back to Christ giving them the power to bind and loose, the keys to heaven, right? The keys to unlock, the, right? And that the, the, the gates of Hades wouldn't overcome this, this ability, right? I, if you can accept that the church has those abilities, then, then it's it becomes second nature to accept all the other things the church teaches, right? It really hinges. I have a great evangelical friend, Austin Suggs, who has a fantastic YouTube channel called Gospel Simplicity. He's a lovely guy. He's he's at Moody right now studying and looking at doing a PhD, and he's he's a fantastic guy. And he he was the guy who came up with this idea, right? As an evangelical, looking, you know, talking to me about my Catholic faith. He said, yeah, you know what? I think it is the papacy that it all hinges on, right? If you can accept that the church is what it says it is and has these kinds of abilities to do these things, well, then what it teaches has authority. Even if you can't figure it out right away when you become Catholic, or even if it doesn't make sense to you from the outside, 
that's kind of the, the the main claim, right? And if that if that's that's legit, then the rest of it kind of falls into place. Not that you don't need to personally hunt for it in scripture and find the evidence for that. You know, don't just blind blindly, uh, uh, you know, accept it or 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 obey the Pope or something, right? But that's the kind of the linchpin of of the Catholic faith is that is that claim, right? That it is what it says it is, right? So, yeah, I was going to ask something. Um, Along those lines, um, about um, just all of the various points of doctrine that the Catholic Church has, from my understanding, to be Catholic, you have to uh, agree with the teachings of the Catholic Church. So, for example, as comparison, in a Protestant church, and you know, in my church, there are some basic things. You need to believe because if you don't believe them, you probably shouldn't consider yourself a Christian at all, you know. But then there's a lot of um, points that you don't have that you can differ on. And our church has like a kind of like a statement of faith, Um, you know, so it does come from a particular viewpoint, but it's not a uh, it's believing those things. It's not a requirement for membership to be a member is more of just um, showing that you're a true Christian, that you believe those basic things that unite all Christians and that your life shows that it's not just words, but your allegiance really has been given over to Jesus and you're following him. So, um, so that's kind of like a, a, a difference that I was thinking about, like, whoa, they're in, you know, they're, I could never be a Catholic because um, there's all of these things. And, and it's not like you can just make yourself believe something. Um, you know, it's, for me, I think it, you can say you believe this or whatever, but it, I don't know. It's like it's, things have to kind of make sense. But, but what you said does kind of about the linchpin there, you know, just if you believe that the Catholic Church is the authority, then I can kind of see how that all falls into place. Um, everything else where you might, so it's really a, pr- a pretty different way of looking at things. Whereas you're, because uh, Protestants are so, um, you know, into um, believing that the, the Bible is the authority, whereas this is looking at um, the church itself as an authority. So anyway, that just what you said, they're kind of answers what I was going to bring up a little bit about just all of the various doctrinal differences, you know, are little things that you have to believe. Well, you believe that one big thing and then, then the others just kind of follow, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, That's so interesting. And and this, I, this reminds me of um, your, 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 your thoughts there. I had a Mark Galley on my show, which was such a fun conversation. He is the former chief editor of Christianity Today, and he of course stepped down to become a Catholic, and in the last couple of years. And I had him on my show, and it was such a fun conversation. It could, it could go on forever. We talked for an, an hour and a bit, and he said to me, "Like, well, how did you find a church as an evangelical?" And I said, "Well, well, Mark, I looked for the church that was most biblical. Like, I was driven by the Bible." And his response was, yeah, but but how would you find a biblical church? Like, that was your interpretation of the Bible. And I go, yeah, well, but 
the, mine's the right interpretation of the Bible. And his, his kind of remark was, well, yeah, how do you know that, right? There's all these different churches that are biblical churches that, that claim to teach the Bible, but they're, right, the interpretation on, on, on small things, but also big things like salvation. Does it, right, is it, is it once for all? Can you, can you lose it? Like baptism, what does it do? These kinds of pretty big questions. He said, like, you know, those things differ from, from church and denomination to denomination. So how do you know you found the most biblical church? And he said the big mover for him, and it, and this was me too, because I came out of this church that was struggling to answer questions around gender and same sex and we marriage and we we were pitting verse against verse and and we figuring out whose interpretation was the right one seemed to be Im- impossible. So he said, you know, the, the mover for him was realizing that when you find the Catholic Church, you aren't com- you aren't bringing to it, okay, my interpretation of, of the Bible is, is this, 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 and this, and I got the right one because I, I know that somehow. You're really submitting to an authority that says, I have the ability to tell you which interpretation is the right one. Um, and it's such a different mindset. It's, a, it's really a different mindset. And I think it was also Mark who said, who said this, that you're almost doing a historic study to find the church versus comparing like the looking at your Bible and comparing their interpretation to your interpretation. You got to realize that if Christ founded a church and if he meant that church to be one church, as, as we Catholics see him praying for in, in John 17 and giving the power to the apostles in Matthew to, to bind and loose and to, and to pass that power on, you, you know, you're, you're more looking, okay, are the historical claims of Catholics, the, this idea that the bishops pass on their power from the apostles, are those claims rooted in history? Is that actual fact that that this church looked like this back then and, and kept looking like this and 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 exists today? Versus looking at your Bible and finding the best interpretation of of or, or the most biblical church based on your interpretation. So it's it is completely a different mindset, and it, I don't know if I'm if I'm explaining that very well, but it's almost choosing to submit to this authority based on you seeing in the Bible that someone has that authority and then realizing that, okay, so what, what they say is they have that ability to bind and loose. I mean, and for me, even if, even if that claim, even if what I'm saying, it sounds crazy. I think that that claim has, has to be examined because for me, I mean, I, I wrote a rather polemic uh, blog post when I was looking into the Catholic faith and it said, I think that Protestantism is broken. And my my thesis was, how come me and you can't sit down and agree on what the, what the Christian faith is based on the Bible alone? Is, is something there gone wrong that we can't do that, right? And I can pray as hard as I can and you can pray as hard as you can and we can't come to agreement. That to me spoke of something else, something missing. And when I found this idea that the Catholic Church can bind and loose, can tell me which way to go on these decisions, that to me was freeing in the sense that I wasn't responsible for finding this biblical church anymore and fighting my friends with different theological points and interpretations, uh, but made sense of made sense of a problem that I saw splitting churches apart right all over the place. So I, I don't know. It was it was it's hard to express. It's freeing in a way that made yeah. a lot of sense to me, <laughs> to 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 repent and submit. Here's 
<laughs> probably like the biggest um, area that I th- think there's a difference. And, and that's like how we are justified before God. So I'm just going to put it in a nutshell and tell me if this is basically what Catholics believe and compared to what Protestants believe. So Protestants, I'll start with, um, I kind of wrote this out just thinking about my wording, um, justified by Jesus's sacrificial death. And then faith, the faith that we have identifies us as belonging to the church, like the universal church. And it's also the means by which we enjoy grace from Jesus's death and resurrection. And faith and works are not separate things, but works are an expression of faith. And, you know, I thought of the verse in Matthew 7, where Jesus is saying, you know, it's not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, because some, you know, he will say to them something like, they didn't do the will of my father, and you never knew me. So there's that connection between not doing the will of God and not knowing him. And then, okay, so that's kind of like the Protestant viewpoint of being of justified before God or having a good standing before him. And then the way I understand the Roman Catholic viewpoint is we earn our standing before God by our works, which we perform by the grace given to us by Jesus's death and resurrection. So it's Jesus's death and death and resurrection are are the the responsible for it because it gives us the grace. But we, with that grace, we are earning our our acceptance before God or our standing before God. Is that, is that how it is? Is that what Catholics believe? Do I, do I got it right or am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were articulating the Catholic position first. And I was like, yeah, you got it. You did it so well. You're, <laughs> and then you kept going. I thought, oh no, no. Oh no. It's all gone wrong. No, I would, I mean, I'll tell you this, Will. My understanding of how I am saved did not change uh, when I went from evangelical to becoming a Catholic because it doesn't really substantively change. I mean, there there is this idea, and I think this comes from the notion that the sacraments are tangible things that we're called to do as Catholics. I think that begets some idea that we're working out our salvation in a sense because we're 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 seen to to do these tangible things. I I am saved by by. The, the grace of Christ, I mean, okay. full stop, right? I think the only, the work I have to do is accept that gift freely given, but I think that's the gift, the work that any any Christian, I think, has to do, right? I mean, I know some some Christians would say that you have no choice in that, and I, I would not agree with that, but I think there, I think, you know, Christ offers us that, that free gift of grace, a salvation, and we, we accept that. Um, I, you know, God moves us to accept that. I think in the Catholic position, like we, like you know, there's very little work being done on, on my side. And in terms of 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 earning anything, I mean, what what's happening in in with my works, which come from my faith, I, which I am moved to do by my faith, is I'm becoming more like Christ, right? I I, I do these cor- these these works of mercy. I, I I help the poor, and I and I I tithe, and I receive the sacraments, and I and I I evangelize, and I'm 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 out there being the ar- hands and feet of Christ. I'm not earning anything. I, I am becoming more like Christ, but I could I could do none of those things, and still and still 
see Christ face to face at the end of all times. I mean, the, the the difference as Catholics, we believe that that you can lose your salvation in the sense that you can cut yourself off from Christ by an, an intentional act of the will, right? Which which and this, I mean, this leads into purgatory, which is a, is a hot topic, of course, as, as well. Which never made any sense to me. The my evangelical view of that, right? Because as an evangelical, I was I was always taught that you know I am I say this prayer, I am a Christian, I live the Christian life, I try as best I can, I die, and I see Jesus. And I always thought, well, how how in the world am I ready to see Jesus the minute I die if I'm this miserable sinner, right? I'm I'm saved by grace, but I'm not. I, I'm I'm still miserable. I'm still a grumpy guy. I still have these the, the baggage from sin kind of hanging on, right? You can't you can't talk about magic. For me, I thought you can't wave a wand over me and I can be, you know, I can be rude to my wife, die in a car crash the next moment as we're driving somewhere, and be okay seeing Christ face to face in the next moment. I thought, no, I just died in a car crash arguing with my wife. Like what gives? I'm not. I'm not okay to be in. You know, all that baggage, whatever I have, is not suddenly magicked away or something. So, in that sense, purgatory always made sense to me as an evangelical. That something has to happen in the interim before I can see Christ. I'm not earning anything though, right? I'm I'm saved by the blood of Christ, but I got this. I got all this junk that's hanging on that I got to figure out by some means, which. We have no idea what that means. Is it happens? It's happened in an instant. It happens. Who knows how it how it happens? But something has to happen in that interim, right? To to make me okay with getting rid of all that baggage that I carried with me. So I mean, I don't know if that answers your question well, at all. It, <laughs> I don't think that it does. It does. But it's kind of the, it's a little bit surprising. I mean, it's kind of uh, refreshing, uh, really. Um, so. So it's not that, um, so I, I know Catholics believe we're saved by grace, but I thought, well, the grace gives the Catholic the ability to do the works, to earn their way, you know, make themselves acceptable to God. So it's, if that's wrong, that's refreshing. I see what you mean about it can appear like that if it's a sacramental type of base type of thing. And I think that's easier to accept as a Protestant, the sacramental nature of it than being good enough to be accepted by God, even if that is based on grace. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 I pushed this guest I had on recently uh, on this point because I said, look, the sacraments really, really appear to to a non-Catholic to be works, to be me working, mm-hmm. doing something to receive this grace. And he pushed back pretty strongly and said, no, that's that's totally wrong. That is not part of our mm-hmm. theology at all. He said, Christ is coming to you in that sacrament. I mean, you have to physically be there and, and move your body up to receive the Eucharist. But that's the extent of any work you're doing. You you aren't doing anything to earn that free gift of Christ mm-hmm. Himself in the Eucharist. He is coming. He is coming to you and propelling you to Him right through the through the through that faith that helps you to do those mm-hmm. to do those things right. So I I pushed pretty hard on that because I was like, this looks like some kind of work. And even then, he was like, no 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 no, you've got this totally wrong. So, but again, there there's that idea. And I, I think this comes from, I mean, it's, it's partly a, a, 
I say a failure of, of catechesis, and that by that I mean we have a lot of people who are who are raised Catholic and who practice the faith as kids and and either weren't taught it very well or didn't really care to learn it very well, right? I mean, it, I, it's hard to know a person's heart, right, in those situations. But and then they 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 grow up and they go off and they and they say these things because what they saw as a kid was they're going to receive Eucharist or going to confession. They're, they're doing these things to be good people, right? That's the classic Catholic trope. So, I mean, it's, it's repeated because it seems like it's true so often and it seems like it makes a lot of sense, but, but in reality, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's far from the truth. And I think, I, I think th- Maybe the best example of this, and this is maybe controversial, is baptism, infant mm-hmm. baptism, right? Because what work can a baby do to receive to receive God's grace, right? It's so freely given. We'll give it to infants, right? Because they can't do anything to earn it in any in any sense of the imagination. And if they died before they you know reached the age of maturity to be able to commit a sin, they're still going to heaven and seeing Jesus face to face. And probably skip purgatory because they wouldn't have any baggage to, mm-hmm. to have to bring with them, right? So, I think ironically, that's maybe one of the best examples of of how it is that that gift is just completely freely given with no no strings attached, right. kind of full stop. So, well, we've covered some of the basic things I wanted to bring up, and I really appreciate it. But before um, going there, I wanted to talk about just fellowship because. Uh, you know, as much as possible, it would ni- be nice for um, Protestants and Catholics to enjoy uh, Christian fellowship together. So I got a couple questions um, for that. Like, how can I be involved with my local Catholic church without being Catholic? Like, are there, I know there's certain things that are off limits for me um, because um, I'm not Catholic, but I, I like the idea of parish, you know, uh, go to church based on geography and, um, you, you know, you're at the same church with your neighbors and so forth. And the Catholic church here, it seems like it's got a lot going on there, you know, different programs and stuff. But you have any um, suggestions for Protestants who would just like to get to know their Catholic, um, Catholic Christians, uh, brothers and sisters, and um, enjoy some Christian fellowship with them, even though they're not a part of the Catholic church. That's, that's a fantastic question. I'll tell you my, my very good friend, Austin, who has this gospel simplicity YouTube channel that I can't recommend enough. He began, he began, he now spends a lot of his time interviewing Catholics to kind of understand Catholic theology from their perspective and bring it to his, his evangelical audience. And he began that journey because his uncle became a Catholic um, and invited him to a Bible study. And he and, and Austin goes, wow, these Catholics actually know their Bible and they're awake at six in the morning for this men's Bible study, in, in, you know, in the morning and on a weekday. Like, what's going on? So it's a, it's a great question and it's a it's a fantastic instinct. And I, I want to say first the idea that of of the limits of fellowship, right? Because you're right that there's things that that you as a, a Protestant couldn't do, um, and that seems sometimes very exclusive and 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 unkind and uncharitable. Uh, but but what it goes back to it really is this understanding of of Christ in the Eucharist, right? That that and and, and and I mean this is biblical, right? Paul Paul says you must discern the body, uh, right? In what's happening there, and if you don't do that, you, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, there the roots in the Bible of that, and the idea of being right for communion is certainly in in the letters of Paul. 
But that goes back to the idea that that really the Catholic Church is is protecting protecting non Catholics from what we see as this really really serious sin of of misusing what we see as as Christ in in the Eucharist. So it, it seems exclusive. What it's really meant to do is to protect to protect non Catholics from what we would see to be as a, a, a very serious sin, right? Of not discerning this 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 body this this sacrament properly. So. That's the kind of the limits and, and kind of why that happens. And to that end, I mean, I, I teach the Catholic course at my parish and it's a rigorous nine month program that, that's pretty right with, with roots in the ancient church. I mean, what I love is the, I tell my, my class this whenever I teach it once a year is the roots are in the early church. We have this in written record where you'd kind of be initialized into, or initiated is the right word into the, into, into the Christian faith. And once you were taught all the things that we believed and where these things come from and this, they actually would take you down to show you like Peter's tomb. That was like the, the, the final, like not exam, but kind of the, you know, the celebration after you've been initiated, you'd go and then see the tombs of the apostles or something to see where they are buried to know like, this is the real, the, the roots of your faith are here. Like it's this kind of into the catacombs kind of thing. I, I love that, that idea. But um, that's why there is kind of a rigorous process to, to becoming Catholic because they want you to, be well formed in the faith, but also discern, you know, know what you're getting into and what you're doing with your eyes wide open. So you won't, you won't, you know, commit sin, like be in, be in error, do these wrong things. So that's an aside sure. to your question, but there's, there's a lot you can do. I mean, you can, you can go, you can go to, to a mass whenever you'd like to, um, without receiving the Eucharist. Often you, you can go up and receive a blessing from the priest. You just cross your hands over your chest. That's kind of the universal in North America. Elsewhere, it's not. So don't go to Europe and do that because they get all confused. But in North America, it's kind of the universal sign. To, but lots of, you know, lots of parishes. Now, parishes vary. I made the mistake of thinking that all parishes were the same because the Catholic Church is the same everywhere, I thought. But of course, every parish is run by a priest and there's a community there of people that differ from parish to parish. So when I when I became Catholic, I'd spent three years on, uh, or I'd watched videos on YouTube of lectures for, for three years worth of this one parish's Catholic initiation lectures. So I, I really knew what I was getting into. The parish I then called up down the street from me was very different from my experience of this online parish that I'd done. So I was totally taken aback thinking they were all the same. But many of these parishes, right, will have Bible studies that anybody can attend. We'll have all kinds of prayer meetings and all kinds of, we, we in the Catholic world call them missions, right? Where a guest speaker will come for a week. It happens usually during Lent, which leads up to Easter. They'll come for a week of speaking sessions mm-hmm. that kind of lead up to, to Easter as kind of a celebration and visiting different speakers or whomever will come there. But uh, there's, I mean, all, all kinds of ways you can get plugged in, um, especially the parish has different things like you suggest going on, right? You, you can even... Um, you know, in the, the the program is called the Right for Christian Initiation for Adults, RCIA for short, that mm-hmm. I teach. It's all across the world. It's, it's the same everywhere, the same kind of steps of the process. And I have all the time people who come and do the first part of that. Pro- there's, there's steps to the program, right? As you're initiated, there's times when you say, okay, mm-hmm. that's good. I've heard enough. But it's a great way of learning about the Catholic faith from actual Catholics, right? You can do part of that course, the, the intro, to hear about mm-hmm. what Catholics believe, Right, it's 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 meant for that. So I often have people in my class who will will come to a few sessions to to hear 
from a Catholic, what we believe and, and take part in that and, and share their point of view. But uh, yeah, all, I mean, all kinds of ways you can get connected uh, to. And I mean, I, going to mass is very interesting. I mean, I'd be, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd, I'd love for more people to, to go to a mass, uh, understanding what's happening there because it's, it's, it's eye-opening based on what you might expect and actually attending one. I, 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 I find I, I, I have, I, this week of my show, I'm speaking to a, a former Bible Christian in quotes, who's now a Dominican friar, wears the big white habit. And he, he was schooled in the Bible and went to his first mass. And he's like, this is just revelation taking place in front of my eyes. I see, I see this, this lamb slain, the, the incense, the prayers from heaven. I mean, he was really taken aback by his experience as an evangelical of going, of going to mass. And now he wears the habit. So he's pretty well entrenched right. in the Catholic church. Yeah. The next question, I guess it's now that I'm thinking about it, it's pretty much the same question, but just kind of from the other viewpoint or other direction, you know, what's a good way a Protestant can invite a Catholic to be involved with them in some kind of Christian fellowship, I guess, like getting together with for Bible reading or even prayer together and stuff like that is fine for Catholics, huh? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's definitely that, that's that's definitely. Now, you'll you'll have some mixed experiences. I remember when I was so I had a very good friend at university who's Catholic, and I and I was uh, evangelical. And we did a little church exchange, and I brought him to to my church, which was a very much we had you know really amazing worship team and a dynamic speaker. And uh, he afterwards we talked, and he goes, "Yeah, that was like you know that was loud. <laughs> yeah. That was." <laughs> What's going what's his takeaway? And he was quite confused by what we were doing there because he was used to a very different different situation. So mm-hmm. you you might right. have some cultural confusion there, but uh but I mean there's all kinds of ways to yeah, to 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 fellowship with Catholics. I mean, Bible study is a great commonality, right? Yeah. A common thing we, we have in common. Uh and and we we pray the same for the most part. <laughs> Don't mention, don't mention some of the prayers that we do. They get a little crazy, yeah. but uh, the, yeah, the, that's a that's yeah a little bit of a cultural difference. Like I've been around Catholics to see some of that, like the wording a little bit. Like I hear before prayer them talk about intentions. It took a while to figure out oh, what's an intention, <laughs> you know, or offering up different things, um, offering up a prayer for a particular purpose, or even an an activity. I have a, a friend who's Catholic and. He, if I understood him right, he swims laps, and um, sometimes he he says he's offering these up um, for a particular person or something along those lines. Is that is that a ca- ca- Catholic thing? Do you think I'm understanding him right? Or <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. You you are, and it comes right from 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 Paul, right? The idea that we can add something to the, to the suffering of Christ, right? I don't remember where it comes from in his epistles, but he talks about. He talks about the idea that that something something is is lacking that we can that we can somehow give. It's, it's this cryptic verse, right? That I that I never understood as an evangelical, but but it sounds like Paul is saying that we can somehow add something to to sacrifice yeah, the, of Christ, right? Go ahead. I'm sorry. And and you might know, you might know the reference. I don't I don't have it in front of me. I, I have five Bibles here, but they're not within within my reach. But. Uh, Right, and that's and that's where it comes from—the idea that we can offer up our own suffering for for others in this sense, and, and that the best way I heard this, I had a whole, I have a whole I have a whole episode on this by this woman who's got a doctorate in theology, uh, studied 
she's fantastic. She's actually a convert too. She she talks about the best way of knowing this is the idea of, of adding to a recipe right. that Christ has already put together, right? So you can you can add a bit more sweetness right. to that recipe or something that that improves the flavor. It doesn't right? It doesn't change what Christ has done fundamentally, but somehow. Somehow, in some mystical way, as the body of Christ, we can we can join our suffering to Christ, and somehow, in some way. So, yeah, that's right. a very Catholic thing to do. Um, I, I do it. It's very, very. I think I, profound spirituality, and then, and then of course, it, it adds this. I mean, the the problem of evil is a is a huge problem for us as Christians to explain, right? But this, to me, unlocks a little bit of that mystery when we can we can through that evil happening to us or some kind of suffering, even just physical suffering or physical endurance, right? Those kind of things, swimming laps, right? We can somehow, we can somehow offer that up yeah. for good to be done with that, right? It's kind of a, a satisfying thing, I think, I think spiritually. It, a little bit, um, like our whole life is to be holy and done, you know, before God and for his pleasure and so forth. The verse you're talking about, I don't know the reference, but I've heard, um, a Protestant pastor, John Piper, referred to it and explained it. His explanation of it was, well, your Paul was adding his own suffering in that he was bringing the good news of Jesus to others. And it, it required quite a bit of suffering, jail time, beatings, and so forth to get that um, message to you know the various cities and so forth. So um, that was that was his explanation for what he was adding to what Christ has done, not that he was adding to um, someone's salvation, but he was a part of that salvation because he was a part of the way it reached that person. Yeah, so. But, well, your, your podcast, Keith, is The Cordial Catholic. And I don't know if there's anything else you want to say as far as contact info or anything you want to mention here before we sign off. No, that, that's a, that's the thing. I, I'm, I'm so happy to be. This is a, I mean, this is a great conversation. I can talk to you for hours. This is so much fun. I, I don't get to often be on this side of the microphone to be to be doing yeah. the one doing most of the talking. So it's, I get I get on here and I can just go for hours and hours on on this side of the thing. And I should say too, I'm I'm not a trained apologist. Yeah. I'm not a theologian. I mean, these opinions, these these what I'm telling you is my perspective right. as, as a Catholic convert. And 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 I. I I can talk a lot about these things, but I'm reluctant to sometimes because I am not necessarily the the most learned scholar of the Catholic faith. I, mean, I, I can tell you what what we believe, but uh, I should say that usually I'm the one bringing on the scholars and theologians right. and, and the monks and the friars and and whatnot. But yeah, the Cordial Catholic is the podcast. Yeah, we're on we're on YouTube now as well. YouTube.com/slash the Cordial Catholic. I'm at cordialcatholic at gmail.com. Uh, if people want to reach out to me, we're on, I mean, I'm everywhere now Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those kinds of things as well. Not on TikTok. I don't understand TikTok. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not on TikTok. But, but, but yeah. And I, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. This is well, a lot of fun. For me too. I appreciate it. <laughs> it was good talking with you. And you did a good job of just explaining, you know, your understanding of the Catholic faith. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Okay, you're welcome. Yeah, well, thank you for having me.